Thank you, Scott. And it is good to have Pastor Scott back today, isn't it? It's been, uh, it's been a little while, but he's here and healthy, and so that's good. So thanks, Scott, for being here and leading us in prayer. And it's good to be here with each one of you all. And for those who are uh, live streaming from home, um, it is a, uh, another beautiful day here in central Indiana. And um, so... Uh, as you may or may not know, this is actually, this is technically the last Sunday of the year, uh, of the liturgical year, because Advent begins. I thought I caught Jason saying that this was the end of Advent. He's ready to get through. He is ready for 2021. He's not the only one, um, but I'm pretty sure this is, uh, Advent has not yet started. It will start next Sunday, uh, but that means that this is the last Sunday of the year, and so uh, what a great year it has been uh, in lots of interesting ways. Um, and today, then, is the last Sunday of our sermon series um, on flourishing in the wilderness. So we've been kind of traveling along with the Israelites over the last uh, several months. And um, last week, if you were here or if you watched online, you may remember that we were uh, that there was the kind of the transfer of power from Moses to Joshua. Now Joshua is... Uh, the leader, and so he was just about ready to go into the promised land, which is uh, where we are today. So they are going to cross over to get to the promised land. Got to cross over the river Jordan, and so there's going to be this uh, this act that occurs. It's a, almost a liturgical, almost a, an act of worship, really, uh, where when the priests who have the Ark of the Covenant, the kind of tangible expression of God uh, on their shoulders, and just as they uh, just as they as they go to step into the River Jordan, it's going to dry up. The waters will stop upstream so that the Israelites can cross over. And if you've been with us during this series, that should sound somewhat familiar to you. We've we've seen that kind of thing before. Uh, and then once all the Israelites are over. Then, uh, then the priest with the Ark of the Covenant will go ahead and complete their journey across the River Jordan, and then the waters will begin to flow again. And so that's where we are today on this final uh, Sunday of Flourishing in the Wilderness, and we're going to look at Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through or, yeah, verses one through 11, which really kind of explores um, this act of worship that's going on here uh, as they cross over the Jordan. And so let's hear these words. When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Select twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, Take twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood. Carry them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you camp tonight. Then Joshua summoned the twelve men from the Israelites, whom he had appointed, one from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, one for each of the tribes of the Israelites, so that this may be a sign among you. And when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off so that these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. The Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took up 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord told Joshua, carried them over with them to the place where they camped and laid them down there. Joshua 
set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. And the priest who bore the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people crossed over in haste. And as soon as all the people had finished crossing over, the Ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in front of the people. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this journey over the last few months alongside the Israelites. As they sojourn through the wilderness, it has been this opportunity for us to consider for ourselves, as we travel through our own wilderness, what exactly that means. Times of joy, times of springs of Elam, but also times of dryness, and darkness, and struggle. But throughout those times, what we know, oh God, is that you are with us. So I pray this morning, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Uh, you know, this may be one of my favorite passages in, in, all, of the, uh, uh, in all of the Bible. I, I love just the imagery uh, that is really uh, thick in this, you know, fairly short passage. One of the things that we see, as I already alluded to, is the fact that, uh, you know, that God came down and, and, and that God really kind of stopped the waters again, uh, just as he had done, of course, in the Red Sea. In fact, if you continue to read chapter 4, I think it's in verse 23, that the explicit connection, really, between the fact that, you know, that God had already done this once before um, out the Red Sea, and now God was doing it again in the Jordan River. And you, you, you'll recall when we talked about God doing this with the Red Sea, we said that this was like a, a baptism of sorts, that the people of Israel, the slaves from Egypt that they had gone through, there was this, this sense that they were being baptized in a sense that they were being told, you are a beloved child of God. And as we said, as they kind of traveled through the wilderness, they were forming their identity of saying, do we really believe that we are loved children of God? And do we then act like it by obeying God and trusting him even in difficult times? And now, of course, you know, minus Joshua and Caleb, this is a whole new generation of Israelites. And so once again, God is there baptizing them as they go through the River Jordan. And then they're going to begin their own sojourn. Because the truth, of course, is that when they go into the promised land, all is not easy or pleasant either. Remember, there are giants in the promised land. And so they're going to have their own kind of struggle. And so the question again is, will they trust and believe that they are beloved children of God? And one of the things I love about this kind of echoing or mirroring is that it's this great reminder of the faithfulness of God from generation to generation. And that even though their parents or grandparents may have struggled at times, as they clearly did, and even though they oftentimes were faithless, that God continues to be faithful. Here is the next group. I'm going to continue to baptize and love you just as I did your parents and your grandparents. There's this beautiful symmetry, if you will, in this next part of the story of Israel. 
But there's also kind of something that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, which is, uh, which is this fact of the importance of, 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 of this tangible expression of God and of being able to see God. You see that they have this Ark of the Covenant, that, that expression of God, and, and that it goes over into the Jordan River, and then it just stops, right? And it just stops as all of Israel then goes over to the Jordan River. But of course, in order to do so, they have to go around the covenant, right? They have to go around these priests who are in their way. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe you're, you're going into or going out of a stadium, uh, um, so obviously a while ago, where there's a lot of people and you're all kind of going in one and, and there's like two or three people who have just stopped right in the middle of everything and they're talking and they seem to be completely oblivious and by the time you get to them, everyone has to stop and you kind of got to go around them and you think, what's wrong with this person? You know, why are they so annoying? Why are they so selfish? Why don't they see me? And it disrupts the flow well, I think this is exactly what we see going on here, that there's this disruption of the flow, and it is a good and right thing. In other words, God wants to make sure that they don't just kind of run across the Jordan River without even thinking about the fact that it is God who has allowed them to do so, that God is there to disrupt their normal everyday life. Because most of us, if we are allowed to and are not disrupted, we will just go about our day without even thinking about God at all. That's a part of the reason why we're doing this challenge over these 40 days of, of stopping for 15 minutes and meditating, right? This week, I'd encourage you, if you want to use a scripture, you can use Psalm 100. It's a psalm of thanksgiving, which makes sense uh, um, since we're so close to thanksgiving. And so, but that's that way, that 15 minutes of just stopping your life and paying attention, so often where we miss out is that we simply aren't paying attention to where God is. And so I hope and pray that over this last week, you've had uh, 15 minutes, that you've spent 15 minutes doing that. I will admit there was one day when I didn't do it. So here's my point. If you forgot to do it, that's okay. Do it. I was going to say now, but don't do it now. Do it today. Right? Allow yourself to be disrupted so that you can pay attention. But then, of course, then, of course, you have this great imagery of stones, right? And, and, and I think one of the things that I realized this week is that even though I have preached on this uh, passage before and paid, you know, some attention to it, by and large, I kind of had ignored the fact that there are two different sets of stones. Uh, uh, there, there's one set of stones that, uh, that, that we'll talk about here in just a couple of minutes that's up on the, where they camped that night. But there's also a set of stones. Did you notice this? Uh, it's in parentheses in our passage that uh, where Joshua, after the, after the priest had kind of, uh, kind of moved from their spot, where he goes and he puts 12 stones right where they stood. But now what's interesting is that, as David Guzik points out, that, that really there's only one kind of time when you would actually see those stones that were there. Can you think about when would you see the stones there in that part of the river? Anyone from home? Good. Oh, there it is. Only in a drought. That only in a drought would you see those stones. What does that mean? That only in the times when the Israelites 
were afraid. Only in those times when they were hungry or perhaps thirsty. We know the struggle with drought, for especially in that time and place. Can you imagine in those moments when they were most fearful, when they most wondered, is there going to be food? Are we going to have a drink? How long is this drought going to last? In that very moment is the moment when they can see those 12 stones and be reminded of how God had been faithful to them in the past. That's one of the reasons why we say it is so important for us to be cognizant of the ways in which God is present. One of the things I oftentimes bring up here, and and, uh, with all due respect, I love Grove City, uh, Pennsylvania, so I always have to give this caveat. I think it's a great place, and it ended up being a remarkable place for us, but after, for the first eight or nine months, it was a point of great drought for Megan and for me. But I oftentimes will bring that up here because it's also this incredible reminder to me that even though it was such a difficult and challenging time that we saw God somehow make water come out of what felt like just a dry and dusty point in our lives. And I think all of us need to have those particular places where we remember So that when you go through a difficult time, a challenging time in the present, you can remember how God has been with you in the past. But then, of course, there's also the stones, the 12 stones, each for each tribe of Israel, that they carry out of the Jordan and they go and they set it up where they camped that evening. Now, on the one hand, of course, it's very similar to the, to the stones and why they were there in the river, a reminder of the faithfulness of God. But there's something else that's unique about these particular stones that I want us to pay attention to, which is that the, who the audience for those particular stones were. The audience for those stones were not the people who had gone across the River Jordan on that day. The audience is for the children Here's what verses 6 and 7 say. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. You see, those kids, they were either too young and they don't remember, or they simply hadn't been born yet. But they put these stones there as a way of saying, this is important for you. This should also disrupt your life so that they then begin to say, hey, wait, why are these here? It's this great reminder of the fact that if a faith is going to be handed down to the next generation, that it won't just happen, that there has to be some intentionality, that there has to be ways that we create space to be able to, so so that people can say, so that kids can say, hey, wait, what is that? Why is that there? That there have to be opportunities that we give to those of the next generation to be able to begin to take this faith on as their own. It will not just magically be handed off to the next generation. I was reminded as I thought about that, about uh, the, the, the property plans that we had. I know some of you guys have asked, well, what's happening with that? And we're at sessions continuing to talk about it. Obviously, we've delayed it and we'll continue to delay it for a little while. Um, um, we think that that's good and right to do. But, but remember when we talked about that, one of the main things that is still the main thing is that the property and the plans that we have aren't for you. 
It's for those who aren't yet here. It's for those who don't yet understand exactly who Jesus is. It's for those who are coming after us. You see, they won't just come. There has to be some intentionality behind how we live now so that they can have a place where we can then say, oh, look, this is the reason why, because of who God is. This is why we do what we do. And whether it's children's ministry, whether it's outreach in our neighborhoods, there has to be a great intentionality in how we are living our lives so that people will say, what do those stones mean to you? What does this faith mean to you? Let me say it again. Faith does not just magically get handed down to the next generation. But as I continue to think about those particular stones, I, I will be honest in saying that it began to take an even more kind of, uh, for me, a less of a pastoral bent, per se, and more of, a, more of a personal bent. Because I began to wonder in my own life, um, and especially in this particular season of COVID, as we kind of end 2020, as we come up right close now to Thanksgiving, knowing that COVID is not over, I'm very aware of that. But the question that came to my mind was, what, what, what is it that I have? What's something in my life and in the life of my family that is a reminder of this particular season of our life together? And is there something that we could have that would be this marker for this particular season and would allow me an opportunity to explain to my children, maybe someday to our grandchildren, if we're so fortunate, to say this is what this season meant to us and these are the ways in which we saw the faithfulness of God in the middle of this incredibly difficult season, a season that has been incredibly difficult for many people, many much more than even for us for sure. And so on Friday, uh, we took a little walk, my family and I did. We went down to Starkey Park. And some of you, I talked about this in one of the videos that we did, um, online worship through Starkey Park, that that had a real kind of impact and in many ways kind of been a, a helpful uh, thing for our family. And so we went down, and, and the original, initially I was just going to take a, you know, we were, I, was, I told them, look, look we're going to go get one stone but you know what happens. You get down there and kids, and oh, I don't want that stone. I want that stone. Oh, it was a nightmare. So, so I said, fine. We'll all just get our own stone. Okay, good. Now, somehow we ended up with seven, which means one of my kids was stealing a stone that they weren't supposed to. And, um, but we, we got them all, and that's what these are right here. These are all stones. I don't know if this is legal or not. Hopefully it's okay. Um, but then as I thought about it, I realized, okay, so there they are. Now, what if my children came and said to me, okay, Dad, tell me, what do these stones mean to you? And so for that reason, I decided to write a letter to my daughters. Now, I'll admit this is a little bit more personal in nature, which I don't, I don't really like to do uh, on the one hand. But I also, here's my suggestion, here's my encouragement as I kind of just read this, I encourage you, even if you stop listening to me, that's really fine. And just start to ask yourself, what, what would I grab? If I had to have a stone, it doesn't have to be a stone, it can be anything, as a marker, what would it be and why? 
How would I explain to somebody what those stones or whatever else it may be, what do they mean to me? Dear Shaughnessy, Adelie, Bromwin, and Liesel, as I write this letter to you about one week before your mother's favorite holiday of Thanksgiving, and as we are nearing the end of 2020, a year that, how shall we put it, has been quite unexpected. It started out great, but as you will each recall at some point, through the lens of your own five, seven, nine, and 11-year-old eyes, it took an abrupt turn in March. It certainly gave a whole new meaning to March Madness. Your school immediately went online. We didn't go anywhere. Literally, for weeks, if not months, the church stopped gathering in our sanctuary every Sunday morning. It was weird. It was really weird. I don't know how well you remember that first week or two, but honestly, I kind of hope that you've forgotten at least parts of it. I realized that I was not the greatest father in that time. While you were dealing with the major shift in your own schedule, mom was dealing with her shift of schedule, and your being home all the time, all the time, all the time, I was wrestling with the uncertainty of it all, and I can only guess that you felt that stress of mine. And maybe that's why that first Sunday, while we sat next to one another on the sofa, while also awkwardly watching me up on the television preaching, we decided that we had to get out. We had to go for a walk. We had to do something. The weather, maybe you will recall, wasn't great that first Sunday. It was gray and cool. It had been raining, but we went out anyway on a little journey along the rail trail and into Starkey Park, or Starkey Parky as we like to call it. There was so much unsettledness internally, externally, that it felt incredibly relieving to simply get out and experience the normality of a family walk. What I didn't realize, what I couldn't have realized, was that there was something about that first walk to Starkey Park that encapsulated 2020 for us. For starters, I mean, before we began the walk, we had stopped worshiping by simply turning off the television. That wasn't normal. I'll be honest with you girls, I didn't even want to turn the television on so that we could worship. It just didn't feel right to worship via a screen, but we did it anyways, because that's what we do on Sunday mornings, even when we don't feel like it, especially perhaps when we don't feel like it. It served as this uncomfortable but important reminder that worship is not about us, and my guess is that at least I needed to be reminded of that. I also thought it was interesting that it was probably right about noon that we approached Starkey Park, and, and then we had to slow down quite a bit as we, as we carefully walked down that wet and slippery wooden ramp that takes us into the park, and then we had to start navigating the slick roots and the mud that seemed to be everywhere in March. I say that's interesting because right around noon on almost any other Sunday, is exactly when your mom and I would have been racing home from the church parking lot. 
Remember how your mom and I would always see who could get there first and whoever of you was riding in my car would be screaming, go faster, take the shortcut. She's right behind us. That light is only sort of red. Well, on that day and on a lot of Sundays after that, there was really no rushing things. What I discovered is that this new rhythm of slowing down, it didn't just change that year, it changed my life. Because having time to simply be rather than do created the space I needed to realize that God had been patiently waiting for me to simply stop, listen, and to be with him. This was an important time for your dad to remember that talking about God is simply not the same as being with God. Now, you may also remember that because we went so slowly that we spent a lot of time together on that hike. And that was really a harbinger of things to come, wasn't it? I mean, during this season, we have been with each other a lot. And spending that much time together means we've had a lot of great joy and fighting, some incredible laughter and tears, great happiness, but also times of anger and yelling. But I have to tell you, that in this season of simply being with you all so much, even in those moments when perhaps we would have liked some separation, that I have never felt closer to you. This time of slowing me down long enough to just look at you, to really look at each one of you, to thank God for the gift that you all are to me and to your mom. You know, sometimes the gifts that God has given us can only be seen and experienced to their fullest when we stop and look and ponder them for the treasure that they are. Of course, we also spent a lot of time together on that hike because we didn't know how to get out of Starkey Park that day. At least not the way we usually went. Remember how the rains over the previous week had turned our little creek we usually traipsed over into a full-fledged storm with, or a stream with no place to easily cross over? I know you remember Mom trying to cross over those logs and then falling gracefully into the water. Perhaps you've forgotten, though, that the only way that we got five-year-old Liesel over the stream was when I threw her into her mother's waiting arms. Liesel, you should know that was your mother's idea. The point, though, is that we kept going, one foot after another, until finally we found a way. Sometimes this journey, this faith journey, is not about knowing exactly where you're going or how long it will take you to get there. It is simply about knowing that you are not alone. 
And that somehow God will see you through. We made it back. We were cold. Mom was wet. The dog was muddy. We were all changed. And for that, I will be eternally thankful. It is that transformation, that experience of God's faithfulness that caused me to want to get these stones from Starkey Park to put in our house as a way of remembering. It's a reminder to us of 2020, of the struggles that so many faced. But it is also a reminder of God's faithfulness in the midst of a season that none of us would have chosen for ourselves. It is a great reminder that even gray and cold days, even days and seasons that we did not plan for and that we honestly did not desire, even those times when we fall into creeks that have swollen and where there seems to be no clear way out, that God finds a way. God always finds a way. In a few years, I'm not sure exactly how much of all of this you'll remember. But what I want you to know is that every time you look at these stones, that you will be reminded of God's incredible grace and faith and His enduring love. In the years to come, you will have other stones or markers that you will add to this pile as a testimony of how God has been with you in times of good and times of difficulty. But know this, as you add to them, you are giving voice to the testimony of God. Just as those Israelites did as they crossed the River Jordan so long ago. Know that I love you and know that you are loved by God. I don't know what it might be for you. What might serve as this stone, as this marker of this year. I do know that it's easy for us to find markers of things that are unpleasant or difficult or struggles. And that it takes some intentionality for us to find things that remind us of how God has been faithful. And so I want to encourage you in this week to come, we have a holiday week. For most of us, it will be slower than a typical Thanksgiving week. And so I encourage you, as you have this space that's been created for you, to think, what might I gather? What, what might I have that I can put in my, in my house to remind myself, to remind my children or my covenant children or whomever else may come over? That they may say, you know, I wonder, what do those stones mean to you? And then to ask, how would you answer that question. How might you describe the faithfulness of God in this season?
Earlier this week, I asked Ted Coates if he would uh, do us a favor and if he would give us a, a virtual stone of sorts, uh, a video, a five-minute video that just kind of describes or helps us to go back and to see things over this last nine months of the ways in which we've seen God continue to be at work in unique ways in admittedly incredibly challenging times. And so let's watch this stone video now. 